Good morning. Today is Sunday, March 10, 2018. We're at the uh, Fount Church through the Bible Sunday School class. We've been studying the book of James, and uh, we're going to pick it up at chapter 3 today. And I'll go ahead and open us in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word that James says needs to be implanted to our hearts. We ask that you would implant it to our hearts. Show us what's in these phrases and these sentences and what we need for our everyday life as we try to walk more closely with thee. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, we had looked at the first two chapters of James, and chapter one is about our trials and afflictions and what they're doing for us in terms of character and conforming us to the image of Christ, and that we're blessed when we remain steadfast under trial and that we will receive the crown of life. Then we worked into the importance of not just hearing the word, but doing it, and to persevere in the perfect law of liberty. Then we moved into understanding that God is impartial, and that we are to be impartial. And James exhorts the church to not show preference to those members who have more means than other members. And uh, that God is not like that and that we should not be like that. And that mercy is to be desired and triumphing over judgment. Then we had some passage at the end of chapter 2 about faith. And we paused to study how Abraham and Rahab's faith were both celebrated within a few verses. And we think of these two people, they're very different from each other, but they both shared a common faith, and we're called friends of God because of it. So um, as we learned last week that our, uh, our works are adornment for our faith. They don't save us, but they show that we are saved and they're highly valued. Now we move into chapter three, and three is also very practical because it's going to address our mouths, our tongues, what we say. And this is an area that is so difficult for believers, for all humans, actually. And that is to be like Jesus was, who before his shearers was dumb, who always had the right word to give to those that ask. He was harsh where he should be harsh, and that was especially with hypocrisy and with religious leaders. And he was kind and compassionate to sinners. So as chapter 3 opens, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Well, I teach, and I think about this verse a lot. I will be judged with a greater strictness because much has been given to me to be able to speak to others about the word of God. So it behooves me to watch myself. And James will go on to say that uh, humility is a huge cure for becoming self-exalted. So at verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. And we know this is the way Jesus was, a perfect man. Everything that came out of his mouth came to him from the Father. So if we do not stumble on what we say, this is a high aspiration. 
And that person able to bridle his whole body, James says. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Ships also, though they're large, they're driven by strong winds, guided by very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. And we want to be directed by the will of our pilot, the Lord himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So taming this one member of our body, it looks like, is going to be a key here to guiding the entire body. So also the tongue, he says, is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. I doubt there's anyone of us that has not experienced a time where someone said something and a big brouhaha started. I think wars have been started by comments that could have been said, left unsaid, or maybe made worse by them. The tongue, he says, is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire, and look what its source is, by hell. For every kind of beast, bird, reptile, and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Well, I guess he makes it pretty plain here to us, lest we not understand that the tongue is a member that needs to be put under divine Holy Spirit control. Otherwise, it is capable of a lot of problems to bring on a lot of mischief and poison. With our tongue, he said, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people. These very people, he says, who are made in the likeness of God. Every time we look at our neighbor, at our brother, remember we all share in the likeness of God. So we must be meek in our behavior towards others. And he said, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. And my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So we're left understanding that the mouth speaketh what's in the heart. Jesus said that out of the mouth comes evil thoughts and all kinds of wickedness. So the mouth, the tongue is an area where we have to seek God's help for, for control. Then he goes on to talk about God's wisdom. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Rhetorical question. By his good conduct or conversation, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Remember what Jesus said about meekness in the Beatitudes. In fact, let's just go there. Probably go back to the book of Matthew where we have the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And uh, meekness is not a um, an attribute that we maybe lift high in our society now, but the Bible lifts it very high. Meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. I think the King James says something like easily entreated and uh, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial. There we have that attribute of God that we studied in chapter two and sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter four, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? We do have a great battle on going on inside of us. Um, after he addresses the, um, how we are to be towards our brothers and how we are to be towards God in submission. Now he will bring up our mortal enemy. That's what Luther calls him in the great hymns. Um, he is our enemy and he picks fights, especially hard with those who love God. And though this is that battle, this is that persevering that we must do. You do not have because you do not ask. He said, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So um, he's talking now about prayer and people of God are always exhorted to prayer. And prayer is where we will receive from God the things that we need. And so he said, don't ask wrongly, spend it on your passion, ask rightly. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, who wishes to be a friend of the world makes, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to, is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Now, this particular verse that he says, the scripture says that God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. I don't think there's exactly a passage that says that. It's not a, a complete, uh, what would you say, quotation. But the Bible always gives us the sense of this, that God puts his spirit in us and he yearns over it jealously. First, we'll go back to Ephesians chapter one. Then we're going to go back to Ezekiel chapter 16. So at Ephesians chapter one, at verse 11, Paul will say, in him, Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, here's the key, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. This is that deposit that God puts in us when he dwells with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And now James says he yearns jealously over that deposit that is within us.
And to be a friend of the world is to be an adulterer in our relationship with God. The Bible is so clear on this that we can have one love, one and only love, and we must be faithful. Now, back in Ezekiel at chapter 16, the prophet will give us a picture of this kind of uh, adultery and unfaithfulness to God, loving of the world. And he will paint kind of a word picture here for us. So he'll say, he says at the opening verses, at verse two, son of man, which was Ezekiel's name, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, thus says the Lord God of Jerusalem to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. And as for your birth on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No one pitied you, but you were cast out, he says. And we are of this world when we are born. And then our father delivers us from this world. He goes on to say now, quoting the Lord, and when I passed by you, when the Lord passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, he said, live. I said to you in your blood, live. And I made you flourish, he says. And you grew up, became tall and arrived at full adornment. Then he goes on to say how he wanted to wed her and that you, she, his people, his church, at verse 14, that had a beauty and it was perfect through the splendor that had been bestowed on you. This spirit that he makes to dwell within us. But at verse 15, he says, but you trusted in your beauty. You played the whore because of your renown and you lavished your whorings on every passerby. You took the beautiful things that I gave you, my gold, my silver, and you made for them, of them, images and played the whore. So um, this picture of God rescuing us, translating us out of the kingdom of darkness, adorning us, putting on garments, washing us, giving us fine linen and silk, he says at verse 13, and we grow to become beautiful but we trust in our beauty at the time we're at the age for love, he says, at verse 8. So you have to read the whole chapter of Ezekiel at chapter 16 to understand this picture he presents of the faithless bride of the Lord. And James is saying this in a very practical manner. He's our husband and he yearns jealously over his spirit that he has made to dwell in us. And then I love the next verse, very short first sentence, but he gives more grace. He gives us grace to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I was reading uh, today in Calvin's commentary that some folks have believed, some scholars, that James didn't actually write that sentence, but it was in a margin as a note. But the scripture is clear that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, and they think it could have been incorporated into the text. I don't know if these things are true or not, but it definitely is the truth 
that God gives grace to the humble. So if you need grace, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humility is a great protector and a shield against becoming self-exalted. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. So it's just a beautiful picture of God's people with God's spirit in them, opposing pride because God opposes pride, lifting up humility because God gives grace to those who humble who are humble, and we are exhorted, you know, uh, to meekness since we are surrounded with so many infirmities and to pardon others. There's nothing that works to moderate us than our humility. And we do not want to be prideful and we do not want to be rigid towards others. Um, James uh, has told us that uh, uh, later on in this chapter that we are a mist that appears and then vanishes. In First Peter, we read that we're like a flower or like the flower of the grass that blooms and fades and is cast into the fire. So we need to watch ourselves. We need to remember that we are mortal and we need to aspire to humility. And it is the hardest thing for humans. We are so prideful to our core. But drawing near to God and receiving his grace to be conformed to that image of Christ, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of low estate, taking on himself our flesh. This you can read about in Philippians. It's a beautiful picture that the Lord, who should be never having to humble himself, modeling humility to us so that we can understand. Isn't that why Jesus took the towel and washed the apostles' feet at the Last Supper? He was modeling humility to them. He knew they would struggle with pride. Remember the uh, mother of the sons of Zebedee came and wanted to ask of the Lord if her sons could sit on his side, either side in glory. And uh, this is how we are at our cores. We need to work after desiring humility. So he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. They wrote a beautiful praise song, Purify Your Hearts. Let me be like gold and silver. That silver refined seven times. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. There we have it again. Because God gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves and uh, before the Lord and he will exalt you. Remember Jesus said, when you go into the dinner, take the lowest place at the table. Let them ask you to come up. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. We know who that is. 
He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You know, most of the Bible speaks to us in a corporate context. But the individual context is there. We are a people who are being readied as a bride for the husband. That we would be presented spotless before the throne of grace. And these, our brothers, are part of our sheepfold. They are part of the living stones in the wall to which we are all being built. They are part of the corporate body of Christ. So we must be careful about how we judge. Now, Christ told us to be fruit examiners. There's nothing wrong in examining fruit and seeing some issues. But we must be so careful as we see things in the body of Christ that need to be lifted up that need healing. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. This is very good for humans because, you know, the, the man plans, but the Lord directs the steps. What is your life? James says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So just a lot of practical expression here as James, a leader in the church, is trying to instruct the people. You know, I had written one other passage. I wanted to mention this thing about the yearning, the Spirit of God yearning in us. It reminds me of something that uh, David was saying back in Second Samuel chapter 23. I think it's right in that same context. Starting at 23 at verse 2, David says, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The Lord, the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over man, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? Here's the key. For he has made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure for he will not cause to prosper for will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire so there's where your hope and confidence is it that like david god will cause the prospering and be all your help and all your desire will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire because he yearns over us and he yearns over that deposit he puts in us. So, careful not to love the world. That puts us at enmity with God. It is a type of spiritual adultery when we love more than one spouse. And uh, the world is uh, not our home. And we are not to love the things of it. It puts us at enmity with God. But love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. 
This is where we need to dwell. Like a tree, our roots must go down. They must be fixed and made secure in humility. So humility cannot be lifted up highly enough because it's what moves us on as we conform to the image of Christ. And we are more like him now than we were when we entered class. We are more like him when we woke up this morning than we were yesterday. We want to stay on that path where he makes all things new in us. So I think we will um, conclude here at the end of chapter four, and I'll close us quickly in prayer. Father God, thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for James, your half-brother, who uh, come to faith and was able to guide and be a leader in the local church who has memorialized or through uh, our, you know, his words have been memorialized for us so that we many generations later can read them and grow thereby. Help us to control our tongue. Help us to humble ourselves and help us to rely on that grace that you promise us when we do. In Jesus' holy name we pray it. Amen. You have been listening to Bible Study Verse by Verse with Vicki Mulak. For more of these podcasts and some resources, please go to our website at www.biblestudyvbv.org. O-R-G. That's www.biblestudy, V as in Victor, B as in boy, V as in Victor. The VBV stands for verse by verse. .org, O-R-G. There you can register and contact us or just leave a comment. We welcome your feedback. Thank you. This is George Mulek.